The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. The stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. You're listening to Squawk Eye Dent, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. Legacy airline with 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 70 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 5th of February, 2021, from Studio 2821 from the 28th floor of the Weston Copley Place Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts. In this episode of Squawk Ident, we will discuss the seesaw effect that has toyed with our ability to keep calm and fly on. With another round of warn letters announced recently at many of the U.S. legacy carriers, the stress levels have started to creep up again with airline aviators. In the WTF segment, we take a look at United CEO's recent comments on making COVID vaccinations a conditional part of employment for its over 13,300 pilots. We explore the aviation pioneer aviator, Bessie Coleman. I am also very happy to also welcome back to the show, Mr. Tony Zolo from Transglobal Airlines, as he joins us on today's episode. All this and more on this, the 70th episode of the Squawk Ident Podcast. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate, start up our virtual podcast engines, and get ready for takeoff. Squawk Ident episode 70 is officially underway. Joining us today is a superb aviator and co-host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club and AMP and Avionics Tech and RC Aircraft Commander, a boat skipper, and a commercial drone operator. Currently, he's a 737 pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employers, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his fortress of isolation, where he's thawing out, where he just returned from a three-day trip where he battled a nor'eastern weather event. From somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, help me in welcoming back to the show, Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing really good. How you guys doing? Uh, doing great, man. Doing great. So, you actually did some flying this week. Tell me about it. I did. I did. I got to go to a, a town or a state or a city that I haven't been to before, believe it or not. Um, Portland, Maine. Um, I, I haven't been there. I even lived in New England for, I don't know how many, 15 years, and I never made it up to Maine. And um, so this was the first time up there. And coincidentally, there was a Northeaster or Nor'easter, as we say it, going through the area. So um, it was uh, pretty wintry up there, (laughs) snow and wind and uh, temperature was... uh, the temperature's only down to about 28 degrees, but, um, you know, that's different <laughs> from Texas, you know, we're, we're up in the high fifties, low sixties right now. So yeah, yeah, I was, I was shivering in my boots for sure. Jeff, did you ice at all? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah there was plenty of de-icing going on, uh, the next morning we spent the night. So, uh, the kickoff flight got out there and, uh, the plane got in pretty late at night. I think it got in about 10 30. Um, and at that time the, the storm had pretty much pushed out. So there wasn't any snow accumulation on the plane, but it was pretty obvious that they, uh, they encountered icing conditions on the approach because the flaps were left down at 15, which is one of our procedures that we encounter icing on the approach. And when I did the walk around, you, you, you know, the nose and the leading edges were all frosted up or iced up. They weren't frosted or iced up. So, yep, we had to get the ice, remove all that ice. And um, yeah, we're on our way to back to Charlotte the next morning. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah. You know, Rob, uh, I think you have your background image still uh, green screen thing because the, the pictures behind you are sparkling. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. How oh, is he doing yeah. that? <laughs> I couldn't figure it, it out. It's like Christmas. Oh, no, that's the Nor'easter going on up there in the... <laughs> ah. <laughs> that's just, that's oh, the that's effect cool. we that, got going. <laughs> that's, you know, I was like, that's like Harry Potter at his house, man. The, the pictures are moving. Yeah, I, thought it was, I thought it was like, Ghost House or something. Yeah. I'm going to try to fix that while we're talking, though. Well, you know, you had a pretty uh, yeah, cool. exciting adventure there, going through some weather and having to go through uh, de-icing yeah. procedures, something that, you know, I was based in Chicago off and on for 13 years. De-icing is absolutely something that I was part of my normal routine, and I, I wasn't very intimidated sure. by it. And, but I haven't had to do it in a long time. I think I've de-iced once this season. Um, so I've yeah. just been lucky, I guess. And so to hear now, uh, when uh, someone I know yeah. goes through the de-icing procedures, I'm, I'm always impressed. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. This was my second time. Uh, so I, I've been pretty lucky myself. I've been able to avoid some of the uh, colder climates, at least, you know, some of the storms and, or, or having to wake up in a climate that's cold and frosty. Um, so this is only the second time, but you know, it, they made it really easy to do with, the. Uh, the hot app, you know, that we have on our EFBs. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a, such a, you know, such a modern uh, advancement in our procedures from what we used to have at Sandpiper. You know, you had to reference those cards and, you yeah. know, find it, you know, keep that card in the book and make sure you have the current card for the year or whatever. Now it's just all in the app. You know, you just click on the uh, app, open it up. It automatically knows what airport you're at and, you just have to enter the nose number and voila, it, it does That's everything it. for you. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty, pretty nice. amazing. And, and I'm really happy that Legacy Airlines has developed that uh, technology. And, yeah. and I think that maybe in a future show, we should probably dedicate some time on explaining what de-icing procedures are like when you're sure. you know, working at a, an, an airline operator and how it differs from, uh, say, a private or a, a charter operator. Speaking yeah, of... That'd be interesting. Yeah. Speaking of private operators, also here to help me to get Flight 70 of the Squawk Ident podcast underway today is another exceptional aviator and co-host. He is an award-winning trophy-hoisting tennis champion, a professional CFI IIMEI flight instructor, a former freight dog, a former airline pilot, a current King Air flight instructor, a Falcon 2000 commander, a captain, and a corporate operator as well. He joins us from his chateau where he just got back from a three-day event himself, where he had adventures all over Arizona. From somewhere in San Diego, California, here he sits in his freshly painted oasis of chaos, 
please help me in welcoming back to the show, Captain Roger. Roger, how you doing? Oh, I'm just living the dream down here. Living the dream. How about you, Tony? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm in the middle of a trip. Uh, anybody that uh, can uh, watch the video that will be later posted on uh, YouTube as a uh, promo clip, uh, you can see that my background is uh, the hotel room here in Boston. So we'll get more into that here in just a moment. But uh, so, you know, you've been getting a lot stuffed around the house, keeping up with the kids' uh, online education and you've also been doing some flying now you've told me that your flying was pretty mediocre and nothing too exciting but you have a trip coming up that is something to be a little bit envious of uh, you're going to be heading out to the was it the well, caribbean for a few days what well i don't really think anyone's going to be envious of this particular trip because i'm not actually staying in the caribbean oh uh, Oh, no. So I actually need to airline all the way back so that I can fly several other trips before airlining back out there in order to bring them home. It's, uh, yeah, I'm not looking forward to I leave for that on next next Tuesday, and uh, I'm not looking forward to to the next week and a half after that. It's going to be pretty ugly, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, so. that's another thing that uh, it's kind of like, for us, uh, deadheading, you know, so a lot of people say, well, what's a deadhead, you know? Okay. So an airline pilot, uh, they might start a trip and in four days fly six flights where they operate every single one of them. And they do this roundabout around the country and end up back at their base on their final leg. Sometimes, uh, they don't need you to fly a leg. So they do what's called deadheading where you have a seat in the cabin and a positive space seat and they basically transport you from point A to point B where you're sitting in the back like a passenger. That's called a deadhead uh, because it's a positive space. You're still working. Uh, you're actually part of the crew. You're just not operating the aircraft. Well, for you, when you say, I have to airline out, you fly the owner's aircraft into a destination. And then sometimes you're flying into an airport that's not the international airport or the main airport. And you got to jump into transportation of some kind, get on over to the, the main airport or the, uh, the commercial airport, and then fly out on an airline back to wherever they need you to fly the very next leg. And yeah, I can see how that's, that can be a little annoying. It's, yeah, it's going to be one of those things. I was, I was looking at it, and I haven't really gotten into it yet, but it's one of those where, where am I, where is the airplane, the other airplane, where is my car kind of thing? Because it's gonna be a mess i it's just gonna be a mess you know unfortunately we don't we don't deal with this all too often but just the confluence of an airplane flying out and staying in the caribbean and then but the other we have another two airplanes both those other airplanes are flying and so we need all the pilots back um but when we fly out of one airport, but I got an airline back into the international airport kind of like where you're just talking about and we've got one airplane at a different airport than where I flew out of. It's it's gonna be a headache, and I'll just kind of leave it at that for right now. Planes, trains, and automobiles, my friend. <laughs> it's gonna be a mess. Uber. I'm just Uber. I'm, I'm looking for. I'm I'm just enjoying these last few days off before that starts. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully that uh, it'll go 
by very smoothly for you. Uh, and thank you again for being here. Well, as uh, we see here on the bottom of our screen, and for those listening on the audio portion, we're very excited, as we mentioned in the intro to the show today, that we have a returning special guest, uh, Mr. Tony Zolo. And it is my distinct pleasure to welcome you back to the show. Uh, Tony is an avid fisherman, a Grady White boat skipper, a culinary Angelou, a wicked YouTuber, voted the North Shore Boston Zamboni Driver of the Year three times in a row, and a former Embraer 145 driver for the airline we affectionately call Sandpiper. He's a Boston native and currently a 737 driver for a major U.S. carrier that we here on the show call Transglobal. Please help me in welcoming back to the show, Mr. Tony Z. Anthony, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Tony? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. So, you know, I last time we were on the show together, uh, you told me, anytime you're in Boston, let me know. We'll get together, you know, we'll go out, we'll hang out, and I'll show you, you know, my stomping grounds. And I was so excited. I had a, uh, a double Boston layover uh, last night and tonight. And I uh, kind of reached out to you and said, hey, well, let's get together if you don't mind and, and we can record a show. And, uh, you know, things, schedules, how they work out. But I'm very happy that your schedule kind of changed the last second. And tonight uh, you were able to join us. And we, we thought a little bit about it. And we thought, well, for social distancing reasons and the fact that, you know, we're, we're both flying airplanes here in the next, you know, for me tomorrow and for you in a couple of days, uh, probably best to do this over Zoom. So so here we are uh, recording the show. I just want to say thank you for being here. And what's been going on with you? How, how's the flying been going and, and how's life? The flying's been few and far between. Uh, so I think the last time that I was on the show, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the short-term LOA or short-term in the sense it's maximum duration two years. Hopefully it'll be a lot sooner than that based upon some exit triggers with it. But uh, as part of that LOA, the seniority level that I'm at, we're taking a pretty big hit in terms of uh, terms of basically credit hours. So we're at the point where, at my level of seniority, our credit hours are, are only guaranteed at 35. Some people are averaging maybe a little bit higher than that, but uh, that's basically where I fall. So it's it's almost like uh, it's almost like working half a month is really what it is. Oh, wow. So uh, you know the. Uh, the new uh, payroll protection plan is supplementing the difference here near term for that. But uh, yeah, not just basic work and have schedule. And uh, in the meantime, just kind of hanging out at the house, you know, watching the dog and uh, just trying to stay healthy, stay fit, get to the gym, be productive, uh, spinning up my side business. I've been busy with that, trying to uh, grow my social media footprint. Not an easy thing to do, as I'm sure you're well aware. I've spent the past uh, week and a half or so trying to figure out the intricacies and nuances of Instagram. So that's a whole mystery to me right now. But uh, yeah, basically that and then flying the odd trip here and there. Yeah. And, you know, hats off to you. I see the website's been uh, developed and now you've got the YouTube channel is starting to ramp up. And so congratulations, man. I, I really, my hat's off to you. It's a lot of work. Yeah. No, thank you. It, it is. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. I mean, two days, but, you know. Good things take time. Yeah, and we are talking about life by Z. So uh, on Instagram, YouTube, and and whatnot, just do a search for life by Z, and you'll find uh, Mr. Zolo's motivational. I'll take that. 
What's that? Yeah, I'll take a step further. It's, uh, yeah, there's a, a Facebook group, Life by Z. There's also Instagram, Life by Z, as well as lifebyz.com and uh, my YouTube channel under the same heading. But uh, yeah, stop on by and check it out. Uh, basically, what I'm doing is personal consulting, you know, just trying to help people figure things out, get organized, stay on track, accomplish things, uh, sort of guide them in the right direction. And uh, that's what I'm doing. So uh, one little step at a time here and building the client base, building the following and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, congratulations on that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show as well. So for myself, uh, I, you know, I realized I was listening to some of the older episodes and I realized I always ask you guys what's going on and I don't really kind of dive into what I've been doing. Um, I just kind of mention it as we go. So for myself, uh, I have been flying quite a bit. Uh, January, I had about two weeks off towards the end of January, and I took that opportunity, as we've mentioned before in the podcast, to help Roger out a little bit, and I started diving into my remodel jobs that I've been putting on hold. As we mentioned in the last podcast, I've been using COVID as an excuse to not swing a hammer, but Man, Home Depot loves me. We've been uh, we've been stocking up with a garage full of uh, all kinds of things, from vanities to light fixtures to uh, a tower uh, shower surrounds and bathtubs and things like that. And so, yeah, uh, coming up here in uh, about two weeks, I've got a vacation coming up, and in those uh, a week and a half of days off, I will be uh, knee deep in home renovations. So uh, that's what I've been doing. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the trip that I'm on is a, a nice uh, three-day. Uh, it was uh, Los Angeles direct to Washington, uh, DCA, uh, Washington Reagan. Uh, pilots, by the way, a uh, little side note, do not call Reagan International Airport Reagan International Airport. That is, unless you want to be put into a holding pattern for 20 minutes while you think about what you've done. Because uh, ATC controllers are not very fond of the actions that uh, former President Ronald Reagan took against the controllers when they were trying to strike and talk about fair wages and uh, basically replace them all. <laughs> you know, and that's you know the short of it. But so whenever you're listening to uh, to whatever you are ATC live ATC or whatever you're listening to, or if you have a scanner of your own or what have you. Uh, the pilots never call Reagan International Reagan. They say Washington Tower, Washington uh, Ground, uh, for that reason. And ask me how I know. <laughs> because when I was a new uh, first officer at a regional airline, and I'm reading the chart, and at the top, and I look on the right-hand corner of the JEP chart of the approach plate, and it says Reagan international uh, so i said reagan tower uh, this is so and so uh sandpiper one two three we're on it and the controller in a female voice she goes reagan tower huh and the and the captain looks at me he goes dude what did you do <laughs> she's like well <laughs> and then he so he cues up the mic right away and goes he's new and she's like oh yeah. well we'll let that slide <laughs> You're clear to land runway <laughs> one nine. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> what did I do? And then after we landed, he explained the whole thing. And I had no idea. So, yeah. So straight leg, the DCA, and then uh, aircraft swap from the NEO. The 321 NEO uh, jumped into an old 319 uh, and went on up to Boston. Relatively quick flight. I think we landed 30 minutes ahead of schedule. 
uh, which pretty much meant we kept getting shortcuts all the way. Uh, it was kind of nice to cross over JFK and LaGuardia at uh, 25,000 feet and look down on a beautiful clear night after a storm had passed through a day or two before and just to see all the streets covered in white and the lights and, and everything. It was just beautiful. So yeah, Boston last night and then this morning I did the DCA Boston shuttle. Left Boston this uh, afternoon, late afternoon, went down to DC. Uh, had a pretty quick turn of it and exchanged captains. So my, the captain I was flying with uh, was pretty much done. So he, he went home and then I had another captain who was deadheaded into DCA from LA earlier in the day. And then we flew one leg back to Boston. And here I am at the beautiful Weston Hotel, a really wonderful place, downtown Boston. The, the ride in from the airport was beautiful. I I did what I think most flight crews should do more of, and they've gotten away from it because you get in a van with your entire flight crew and every single face is illuminated as they're staring down into their lap at their phones and they forget to look outside and see how beautiful this destination could be on the drive. And uh, so I kept my phone in my pocket and I just kept looking out the window and man, some beautiful architecture out here. And the history, the museums, I'd, I'd love to just stay out here for a while and visit some great locations and really dive into the history of this place. So, you know, Anthony, no you, shortage of that around there. what's that? Yeah, there's no shortage of that around there. Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, and, and you're you actually you live in a beautiful place, Anthony, I got to tell you. Uh, well, let's get started with the show. Uh, today we have a pretty heavy schedule of items that we're going to try to get to, and hopefully we can get to all of them. Uh, from the Dallas Morning News in an article that I uh, came across just yesterday by Kyle Arnold, dated February 3rd of 2021, entitled, American Airlines will send out 13,000 new furlough notices to employees on Friday. Well, that was this morning. With demand stagnating and more government relief uncertain, the Fort Worth-based carrier plans to furlough workers again on April 1st. In a letter from CEO Doug Parker and President Robert Isom, they indicated that as we closed out last year with the successful extension of the payroll support program, we fully believed that we would be looking at a summer schedule where we'd be flying all of our airplanes and need the full strength of our team, they said. Regrettably, that is no longer the case. The warnings don't mean furloughs are certain, but are intended to alert employees who could temporarily lose their jobs. The airline's union's employees have recall rights, but it could be several months until demand is significant enough to justify bringing workers back. The article goes on to say that Parker and Isom said that the company's passenger traffic will be down 45% during the first three months of this year. And based on current demand outlook, we will not fly all of our aircraft this summer as planned. The TSA data shows that the number of passengers flying out of the U.S. in airports is still down by more than 60% from a year ago. And also, United Airlines has issued 14,000 furlough warnings to its employees, while the Dallas-based Southwest Airlines said it won't furlough any employees or cut wages this year. 
it is offering voluntary leaves and early retirement to workers in an effort to trim costs. American and other airlines are now pinning hopes on an upcoming stimulus program being negotiated by federal lawmakers that will again include help for airlines. And the article will be posted in the show notes here. It goes on with a lot more data about who's getting furloughs and the union's responses. But I got to tell you, when I read this, I thought, oh crap, here we go again. You know, another another bad year. I had no idea if I was going to be affected, uh, how deep this was going to go, and how many pilots were going to be affected by that 13 a thousand number uh, at Legacy Airlines, the sister company here. Uh, we've we've been dealing with this same thing, um, and I know that uh, Trans Global has kind of been issuing some of these warn letters that the media is not talking about as well, right, Anthony? So my understanding of that, and and I could be wrong. This you just said fourteen thousand a minute ago, which uh, I'm not going to doubt or discredit that. The number sounds a little bit high, but we had a lot of flight attendants, for example, that were furloughed. But now under this latest um, payroll protection program, they have to bring those flight attendants back. Correct. So you know where that's only going to be a temporary you know measure that's going to get them through at least as as, as things stand right now, uh, not barring basically uh, you know a CARES 3.0 so to speak. That would only go through the end of March. So I would imagine that those furlough notices are sort of baked into the cake, if you will, yes. if that makes any sense. And again, that's just an assumption, my, my understanding of it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's really the only thing I can, I can kind of, you know, comment on intelligently or even semi-intelligently at this point. Yeah, that's my understanding, too. The same uh, over at American and at Legacy Airlines as well, that uh, they're the pilots and the, and that's... Uh, Cumulative, all the employees, not just the pilots and the flight attendants and whatnot, but but throughout right. all the labor departments, those were the numbers. Um, and okay, so, that will that make more sense then? Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. by the by that logic, what was going to happen was there were pilots that have been waiting to get back on the line as demand would increase. Right now, they're payroll protected, so they're basically staying at home, collecting a minimum. A monthly guarantee of, of sorts, and they're not flying, and they're waiting for their class date to go get recalled, do their landings, whatever they had to do, uh, go back to the base uh, where they were, and get back on the line, uh, whether that be reserve or whatnot. And before that can happen, because of the projections, now they're having to give out these warn letters, as we've spoken about in previous shows, uh, legal. Uh, responsibility of the company after an idea of a mass layoff they have to give 60 or in some cases like new york 90 days notice to the employees that are affected that hey you may get laid off um so these these pilots especially are feeling like wait a minute just when i thought i was coming back now you're announcing you're going to give warn letters again so it's a seesaw effect of stress and anxiety amongst the stress unstable you know part of the job the, th- the thing is this, when you talk about this whole COVID thing, then we're almost a year into it now. I mean, certainly when this thing first went down, you know, my rational, level-headed, you know, sort of part of me, you know, looked at things and said, all right, you know, hey, this is going to be a, you know, a lean year, you know, where airlines are going to lose money. It's not going to be good. Well, come on, this will be okay. 
But, you know, like I said, the, the rational level-headed part of me never would have thought that this thing would have stretched out to what it's to what it's gone through. And when you try to apply yeah. logic and reason to a lot of things with this, you know, again, not to be repetitive, but like the logical, rational, reasonable part of, reasonable part of me that's looking at this going, oh, yeah, this will happen. That's that, That'll happen. You're not seeing all those things happening. Um, moral of my story here is that you can't apply logic and reason to this. So with that being said, my disclaimer here, you know, logic and reason makes me think, well, okay, let's wait and happen. Let's wait and see what happens this summer as the vaccines come out, people will get the vaccines, more people will start traveling. The big thing is foreign countries opening up their borders to incoming in, uh, international travel. Uh, you know, again, the rational part of me likes to think that that's what's going to happen and that will level the playing field, you know, uh, to, you know, basically normalcy, if you will. But I don't know. When you apply logic and reason to this thing, you know, right from the start, that sort of seems to be out the window. So, any anybody's guess? Who knows? It could be as dark as they predict. Could be the polar opposite of that. I mean, it's just that much of a crapshoot. Yeah. And and Rob, you were flying yeah. just uh, recently. What were people saying mm-hmm. about this announcement? Um. Well, you know, mainly we just I just uh, had conversations with the captain. Um, the uh, the flight attendants that were working our flights for, as you can imagine, they have, they're, they're very senior just because, you know, all the junior ones like you just talked about are sitting at home uh, collecting the uh, PSP uh, money. So the, the, uh, the captain has been with us for over 30 years already. He, he came to uh, the net, the 7-3 fleet from flying the 787 and the triple seven. So, um, he he's he said he was furloughed for about two years at one point and in conversation with him about this i mean he honestly he was so far removed from <laughs> the whole situation because it really doesn't affect him other than um you know how he bids you know what overnights he's going to go to and stuff like that so it was kind of you know he i mean he was curious as to what i thought and, you know, with, I, I don't know very much about it, obviously. I mean, I know that, you know, the Warren letter came out and we talked about that and I told them, you know, the, how many, uh, pilots they were looking at warning and I was eight, uh, 1850. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he asked me right away, Hey, are you in that? And I said, well, I checked no, but you never know how they count that stuff because we have so many different seniority numbers based on date of hire and, um, you know, just a yep. relative seniority, people out on you know, leave, people all out that on mill yeah. leave sure. and all that stuff. So I was, it's really hard to really figure out which number you need to go by. But, um, long story short is thankfully I'm not like you are, uh, uh, like you're not, I'm not. Um, so that's kind of the uh, conversation, how it went. Yeah. Talk to another buddy of mine, um, a fellow Wes Winder. I mean, I was, uh, yeah. Uh, tailwinder and uh he he was thankful that we weren't in that situation either so yeah 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 and roger you know you're we've talked about how you've really kind of dodged the bullet because just a year ago we were talking about letters of recommendation and dusting off your resumes and getting your online apps out there because you were thinking yeah it's time for me to join the club and and head on over to the airline industry. I think maybe this is a good time to do it. You saw the projections with hiring and and everything. And then this happened. And 
we were talking the other day how, man, you really dodged a bullet here. Uh, what are your Fortunately, thoughts? Fortunately, I am undesirable. <laughs> well, uh, don't say that. <laughs> Roger, Roger, we're talking about aviation, Roger. We're talking about flying. I am aviation-wise undesirable. And it's been the greatest gift I could have gotten. Uh, oh, okay. You know, that's just it. kind of, you know, I guess the, the luck of the draw for for all intents and purposes. Um, I am not nearly as affected as as you guys are. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely affected things, but the the security of my job has never really been threatened. Um, so I feel extremely fortunate about that. And also that, you know, like you were saying, I definitely, I mean, who, who could have seen this coming and looking at the, all, all the legacy carriers and their projections and everything, yeah. you know, who wouldn't look at the opportunities that they were offering, but, uh, you, you can't make this stuff up, you know? Crazy. Yeah. You know, you know what, if I may interject, not I really interject, but bring this up, you know what, what's throwing things off for me personally and and I, I I enjoyed seeing the news and I thought it was great. But you know, you see these other companies saying, "Hey, we're going to start hiring again." Like I forget, was it Spirit, Spirit, or, Frontier. Uh, Frontier, Frontier, yeah, you know, and all these other airlines. So Even I'm United like, said they were going to hire. Know? Yeah, just I, recently, I see, I see all that stuff. So you know, I'm I'm not sure if it's just like a, you know, kind of the delay in things on how how the. Uh, you know, the news gets out of the uh, PR world of, of the airline office there. But, you know, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, a little bit of cavitation that goes along with the announcement. And then we're going, well, yeah, the projections look good two weeks ago, but now they suck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I think there's, um, there's truth to the fact that this is a, a strategy. And there's truth to the yeah. fact that some of this with the warning letters going out or warn letters going out, uh, today and a couple days ago with with uh, other airline major airlines it's i think a way to get the political spectrum out there to pay attention to the airlines so that when they're writing legislation to pass more stimulus which is no matter how you look at it you know depending on what side of the aisle you may uh, participate in or how what kind of financial goals you think our country should be going in you know stimulus the more stimulus you put out the more in debt and the more and the less value when you print more money i yeah i also feel it's not so much just for that i think it's just another way of putting pressure on uh the government and local governments and everything like that just to open up the economy because, you know, you know, yeah, we're talking about PSP, stimulus money and all that stuff. But what really needs to happen is the world just needs to open up again. And it needs to start right here in, you know, hometown USA. So, you know, a lot of these people live and work in these towns that, you know, especially some of the hubs that um, Transglobal and, and Legacy have, you know, a lot of these hubs are shut down because of the yeah. way they're, they're local or their city or their state governments are running things and you know you cross right over the border to another state and you know they're they're doing just fine you know they're they're making ends meet and they're well, i wouldn't say they're doing just fine but you know they're they're uh 
businesses are open, people are working, kids are going to school. And yet um, their numbers you know, are dropping in terms of infectious yeah. uh, infections yeah. and whatnot. So yeah, I think this is all kind anyway. of a, a, a strategy. At the same time, you're right, like the projections on one week might be different than the projections in the other. And as the news comes out about vaccine rollout being slower in some states than others, um, I've found out recently that it depends on what state you live in. If you live in Nevada, they're on 1B, transportation workers. They're going out and getting vaccines. But if you live in California, even though 1B is the next one to go, they're still not done with the essential workers, 1A. So it, depending on the state you live in, uh, you know, North Carolina being another one, uh, Arizona being another one, uh, you could be getting your first round of vaccinations right now as a transportation worker. Yeah. But in other states, you can't because they're still behind and they're not where they need yeah. to be. So yeah, this is very much a state-by-state -state issue. I think that the airlines are, are having the strategy in order to put pressure on Congress to get them more relief, more, more money in the stimulus program. And speaking of that, the question really is, will CARES 3.0 be helping payroll protection? From CNBC, an article published just yesterday by Leslie Josephs, airline laborers uh, unions push for a third round of federal aid with travel demand still depressed. Uh, this article uh, was interesting because it said American Airlines and United Airlines have warned some 27,000 employees cumulatively that they could be furloughed. The travel demand remains low and slow rollout of the vaccines have dashed hopes for recovery. The second round of federal payroll aid expires after March 31st. So they go on to say how you know the current round of aid at 15 billion expires on the first, and these airlines you know said, hey, we could be potentially laying off 27,000 jobs, so maybe it's time that we get the CARES Act 3.0 passed, so that we can keep these people out of the unemployment line and keep them working. And I think it worked because after I landed here in Boston tonight. I did a quick scrolling of the news feed and found out that this morning they actually passed the new stimulus, the, the Biden-Harris stimulus plan in the Senate on a 51 to 50 vote. And it made history because it was a tie and the tiebreaker in that situation is the vice president. So uh, Vice President Harris uh, was the tiebreaker to 51. So what does this mean? Well, we don't have the verbiage in front of us. We don't have the, the outline of the bill. And it still has to go through uh, the House of Congress, which they had a separate bill that they had passed. So now we have until about mid-March, uh, according to this article, for the, all the, the details and the amendments to this bill to get in there. The question is, will this include a new payroll protection for airlines. And with this budget resolution nearly complete, Congress can now turn in earnest to writing Biden's expansive pandemic relief proposal into law and push it through the Senate without Republican votes, if necessary, under the, under the special rules unlocked by budget legislation. That process will take weeks, with Democrats eyeing mid-March as the deadline for final passage of the relief legislation because that is when enhanced unemployment benefits will expire 
if Congress doesn't act fast. And as we mentioned, a senior U.S. lawmaker told reporters at Reuters that the COVID-19 relief package, the 3.0 package, would include a new round of payroll assistance for U.S. airline workers. Representative Peter DeFazio, who chairs the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, told reporters at the White House that the new round of airline government assistance would extend restrictions on executive compensation and stock buyouts. The U.S. airlines have been awarded $40 billion in payroll since March, and airline unions last week asked Congress for another $15 billion to keep the thousands of workers on the payroll past March 31st. So until probably here in the next few days and hours, uh, we'll see what this entails. Maybe those worn letters will go out and the zero furloughs will happen. Possible. Could be rescinded. Yeah. True. Yeah. What do you guys... The, uh, yeah, the other, thing, the other thing too, and you know, I think last time that I was on, we touched on this, is that you know, oftentimes, you know, with situations like this, this sort of becomes the stigma that, you know, oh, the airlines are getting bailed out. Yeah, the airlines are on the hook to pay all that money back. And we've talked about this before. It happened, you know, it happened after 9-11, and it's going to happen here again. This money isn't free money. This money's getting paid back. This is a, think of this as like bridge loan. This is just, a, oh, here you go. Don't worry about it. I mean, that's, that's the reality of this. So even once the airlines start actually getting back, you know, into profitability, let's just say, what do you think is going to happen with that profitability? It's going to go to pay down debt. So even though they're going to start making money, they're not really going to be actually cash positive here for quite some time. So that's the reality of the matter. You know, it's not a freebie. That money's being paid back. Now, when you say that the airlines are going to be paying back, what do you mean? I remember you 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 gave us some detail about that the last time you were on the show. Uh, what do you mean yeah, they're going no, to pay I mean, back? All the- all this money, I mean, it's not like it's not like this is just, oh, yeah, hey, here you go. Don't worry about it. I mean, this money is going to be paid back. Like, 9-11. Yeah, here's $1.9 billion, man. Go ahead, just take it. Right. Thanks. And yeah. That's money's we love you paid. guys. Yeah, and, and after, after 9-11, a lot of people said, you know, they said the same type, they said the same type of thing. You know, oh, look at this. The airlines are getting bailed out. You know, no, the airlines are getting bailed out. I mean, it was basically, reality of the matter is, okay, look, you don't step in and do something. And this is talking about 9-11. We're going back quite a ways. You know, had there not been some sort of intervention, yeah, for the government at that particular point, basically we wouldn't have had an air transportation industry left. Okay, we would have had nothing. So they were compelled to have to do something in that particular case, which they did. But the airlines paid that money back. They paid it back actually ahead of schedule and even with interest too. So the reason I mention this is just that I think that there's oftentimes when you talk about these types of things, you know, it's this, you know, oh yeah, look at all these corporate bailouts, you know, all these big corporations getting money. And well, you keep in mind, they're getting money. There's a reason why they're getting it. If you let them go insolvent, there's the unemployment factor, but there's also the national interest to the country. How are we going to have an air transportation system? Okay. And at the same time, too, where it's essential, you need it. Okay. Again, those companies are still paying that back. And the point that I was trying to make, not to be repetitive, is that even once these companies do start turning a profit, they're still going to be in the situation where they have to pay that money back. So the, re- the reality of airlines being prof- you know, truly profitable, cash positive profitability, you know, that's still going to be quite some time, even once they stop hemorrhaging the money that they're already losing right now. Um, and, you know, and obviously, for selfish reasons, I want to see this go through. But the reality of the matter is, you know, as a country, we can't just keep on printing money. We got to start really evaluating that. I mean, one, possibly two rounds of this, okay, but pressing up on the third. There's that part of me as just a U.S. citizen that says, oh, okay, I don't want anyone to lose their job, but we can't devalue our currency and live off a of credit card debt, which is effectively what we're going to be doing on a larger economic scale here. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's really the scariest part of of this, I think, is that we keep doing this. I too am selfish that I want to see, you know, my brothers and sisters keep their jobs with protections because we are a vital role of the economy, as we've mentioned before. Right. Um, but at yeah. the same time, I don't want it to devalue our nation's currency and and just keep deep diving into more and more national debt that we're never going to get out of. Yeah. Which could be dangerous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that that can be the uh, you know the the trifecta in all this, if there ever is one, is uh, you know we've we've we meaning the industry have um, benefited from very very low fuel prices in the past few years and you know here we are suffering from a pandemic um which has brought us to our knees fuel prices are pretty much low right now but you know i can my my biggest fear is we get over this pandemic um and with the new administration in in place now and the way they're they're uh handling the energy solutions of our country um, we may have another spike in the price of fuel, which has always been, you know, an airline's biggest expense, labor and fuel. Um, so, you know, going into debt <laughs> to keep everybody on staff and then, uh, you know, uh, going into debt to take these PSP loans um, surviving the pandemic to be brought back to our knees because of labor and fuel costs mm -hmm. is something that, you know, if it's, if this, ha if it happens, I wouldn't be surprised, but yeah. oh my God, I hope it doesn't, yeah. you know, that so, would be a so Rob, kind of speak to that point right there. See that poster right over my shoulder there. Yeah, the, I do yeah, all, the, all the different airlines with what you're sort of alluding to. And everybody thinks I'm crazy. That thing may have to be reworked because I yeah. think that possibly longer term, forced some sort of, you know, merger 2.0. I mean, yeah. I, I think I've said it before on this, on, this, uh, on this podcast that I don't think merger mania is done yet. I still think that, that there's going to be another round of that. And like I said, I mean, that, who knows, that could all be reworked over there in time. So, yep. And that's a couple of airlines thing. just formed alliances, you know, lately. Um, yes. We all know that uh, uh, JetBlue and American are doing something together. Um, on the East Coast, I know something's going on on the West Coast with Alaskan Airlines. Uh, you know, not to say that that's what's going to happen, but um, you know, there there's some interesting moves taking place yeah. right now, and you know, I'm sure it's going on behind closed doors at some other uh, major network or major uh, legacy carrier out there. So yeah. yeah. And what's the point of all this? The only reason I wanted to mention what's going on with the warn letters and this, you know, CARES 3.0, which it looks like it's going to go through. Um, you know, the, their positive news has been coming from the negative news that came only hours before that was followed by some more positive news with the news that airlines were being hired. This whipsaw is, it's absolutely exhausting for anybody that's in the career and that it affects. Now, Rob, earlier you mentioned you flew with a captain, you know, 30 years on the flight line. It doesn't affect them. You know, you can ask him a question about it, what he thinks or what she thinks, and you're going to get a response. Well, I really haven't been following it. I don't know. Which there's no, you know, fault for that. I mean, that's, that's no. his or her prerogative. But I, 
I truly believe that when you're in an industry, in a particular niche that we are in, in aviation, as small as it is, regardless if you're an airline pilot, a corporate pilot, a cargo pilot, if you have wings pinned on your, on your breast as you walk out the door in uniform or not, or, that, or you just have wings in, in a virtual sense and you're flying a private operator, it, it, either way, this is your industry and it affects you. And if your son or daughter were a new hire and this was affecting, I guarantee you, you'd be paying attention to what's going on and how it's going to affect their livelihood and their quality of life. So I'm not saying is that you have to, you know, be all in to find out if, if it, this doesn't affect yeah. you, but it really is the responsible and really respectful thing to do yeah. is to at least pay attention. Yeah. And you jarred my memory just now when you said that, that the captain I did, I flew with this past weekend who I, I told you, he, he really didn't pay too much attention to it. Um, and, and I, I guess I should rephrase that. He just didn't know that it was happening, you know, currently that the warn letters were going out. Uh, he does have a daughter that is a flight attendant who was furloughed or ha or is furloughed, um, and is living at his house back again, uh, 30 years old. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of detail, but, <laughs> but he did talk about, you know, yeah, you know, how that halt how she misses flying and um, you know, she hopes that she can get back in the air soon. And um, you know, with everything that's going on that. So he, oh, yeah, go I'm ahead. sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Rob. Sorry. I, no, I good. That's good. I, oh, I was just saying that was yeah, pretty much. So a couple, a couple things I'll add with that, you know, I'll start off with this actually a few things. So, you know, talking about, you know, someone that basically loses this job, I mean, that's never an easy thing to go through period, you know, whether or not you have recall rights, or you don't, it's never an easy thing to go through, but particularly in this job where the job really becomes, you know, your life. Okay. It really kind of becomes, you know, an embodiment of who you are. You know, this is, you know, it's, it's more than a job. It's a, it's a lifestyle for people. So there's that aspect of it too. But I think that to take that a step further and look at it in the aggregate, you know, one of the worst things I think that's happened here with COVID is the fact that Okay, look, obviously people have died. Mind you, I said one of the worst things here. Okay, but it's the fact that, you know, people have lost purpose. They've had purpose taken away from them, whether it's, you know, you've been furloughed as an airline employee or anything, you know, when you take that purpose away from people, you have nothing to do, you know, that, I mean, that's a, that's a, that is a real emotionally devastating thing to, uh, to have to contend with. Now, and the second fact where, you know, the second aspect of that too is, you know, where, you know, we're looking at a lot of the more senior people, I think that, uh, that, you know, from the, I don't know, the emotional perspective, they're looking at it in the sense that, you know, well, I'm well insulated enough that I don't have to worry about being furloughed. I've got another couple of years left to go. Yeah. Worst case, if things went totally south, I know from this point on, I'm basically coasting in, I'm okay. And I think yeah. that there's very much an element of that, a little bit of, of disengagement, which I can understand on the behalf of like the more senior people who are kind of short time at towards retirement. Yeah. Um, and Tony, you had also brought up um, an, another point, which this subject sort of reminds me, you know, of, of something else and particularly, you know, where, where you make it relative to, uh, you know, to airlines, but you sort of, what you had said about, think about it, if, if it were your daughter, you might feel differently about it too. You know, just, I guess more in a more aggregate sense, it is going off into a little bit of a tangent conversation. 
you know, on a level playing field, you know, when you know things are going good with the airlines, you hear people all the time, you know, it's like, oh, I can't believe the ticket prices went up and, you know, and so this isn't fair and it shouldn't cost this much and I should be able to fly here and there for, you know, super short money. You know, it's like, well, you know, okay, think about it like this, you know, and I'm just gonna make up an arbitrary example. Say if that's somebody who happens to work for one of the cell phone providers or something like that, I could very easily have the position of, uh, gee, you know, my cell phone bill should be a lot less expensive, but, you know, whose expense is that going to be at too at the same time? You know, I mean, we're all in this together. When it comes down to affecting you, people will always look at that a little bit differently. And I think that, Tony, that's an element of that you sort of reminded me yeah. of because that's yeah. something that I've always yeah. kind of felt as well. Yeah. And one thing the uh, we talked about, though, I remember a conversation I did have with the captain. And now that now that we're talking about it more, more it's jarring my memory of, of the conversations we had. But one of the things we talked about, too, is, you know, the uh, from the this this is probably a conversation for another time, but anyway, the, the from the flight attendant side of the house, uh, the furloughs, um, all the flight attendants that were furloughed were the pretty much the new hires from like 2013 and on. Right. Um, and those are all like the fresh new faces, the young ones right out of college or or high school, whatever the case may be. And um, you know, there I I don't think that those I'm sure there was a, a lot of them that did, but I think most of those individuals looked at this, you know, position that they now have as just a job, as opposed to how we look at it as a career, you know, something we really have. I mean, obviously they had to go through a training program that is, we, we've all heard that it's really tough um, and it's really, uh, you know, they, they're held to a really high standard. Um, to get certified and everything, but it's still, uh, you know, when I think uh, some of them got the, the uh, you know, the, the, the news that they were getting furloughed, um, you know, a lot of them are just like, all right, well, you know, I'll go do something else. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of them are upset. I did see some emotion through from a lot of people because like, like uh, Anthony said, you know, they're, they're, that's a lifestyle. It's a, it's something that people look forward to do. And I think those are some of the people that would turn this into a career for themselves. But from that point of view, you know, it's just a job for most of them. And um, the ones that have been here for 20 years, 30 years, and, you know, there's one that are, are back on reserve again, their career wise, you know, their careers, they, this is a career for them. Um, pilots, it's a career. It's not a job. I mean, there's very yeah. few people that treat this like a, just a job. Um, years of training are involved. Probably, the Absolutely. ones that just treat it as a job probably have something else going on. Um, you know, second job or something else that they're more passionate about. But, uh, anyway, that's just my two cents and remember yeah. that from our conversation. Yeah. We have years of training and, and training expenses years, uh, behind yeah. this. So if we are out of work, we can't just go and pick up and go and go, well, I'm going to, I was working for a, I'm just going to go work for B and pick up where I left off. No, yeah. you, you if A is doing poorly, B is doing poorly, C is doing poorly, all the yeah. other airlines are doing poorly. So you yeah. have to get creative. And, and I know a lot of yeah. uh, information boards and, and social media boards yeah. that are out there to help furloughed pilots right now. Yeah. Uh, people are posting jobs up there all the time. Hey, I know a guy out, if you live out in this area, you know, submit your yeah. application. I'll, you know. I was going to say, a lot of people don't realize that our industry isn't like other industries where, you know, your, your years of experience carry over to your next job if you do happen to go to one. You know, for us, we're a seniority-based industry, um, mainly, you know, especially at all the, uh, at the airline level. Uh, you leave one job, 
or one one company and you go to another, you start all the way at the bottom again, regardless of how many hours of experience you have. Pay scale, uh, you, you look everything. At the military guys, who, you, yeah, pay scale and everything. You look at military guys who come out of the military with you know some guys five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand hours of flight experience. They start off at the airline. They're bottom of the totem pole. You know, they're treated just <laughs> they're new hires. <laughs> yeah. They're 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 only there because they're qualified. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, with that being said, that I don't think very many listeners may not know that. Um, so it's not easy to just go from one airline to another airline or from one aviation job to another aviation job due to that that aspect. Yep. And we're gonna we're gonna discuss a little bit about the mandatory vaccinations and an amazing aviator from our past right after the break. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back uh, to the second half of episode 70 of the Squawk Ident podcast. Again, I want to thank my co-hosts, Rob D. and Captain Roger, for joining me today on this remote recording from Boston, Massachusetts, where I share a location with our special guest today, Anthony Zolo from Life by Z, who is uh, giving us his input on this CARES Act that we've been talking about, the furlough, the Warren letters, all this crap that we have to deal with again here at the mainline carrier. Now, I think, you know, if you're listening and you're just starting out in aviation or you're learning how to fly or in training right now, or you just think that uh, aviation is cool to, to learn more about and someday maybe this will be the career path for you, I think there's a lot of value in listening to us debate back and forth about how this is affecting us because yes although this is new to all of us with uh, this pandemic going on we've we've heard about it in fiction and film and in and books but we've never really had to deal with it at least in our lifetimes and so it we're all on new territory here and who knows what the future holds so uh, learn from our mistakes that's number one. Uh, let's learn from our triumphs. And hopefully the next generation that has to deal with this uh, will be able to make better decisions, smarter decisions, so that there's less stress and turmoil for the group. Uh, we, like we said a uh, hundred times before, are all in this together. Once you have wings pinned on you know, your uniform or you get your private pilot license or you go for your first solo or your first discovery flight welcome to the club i mean we we got to take care of each other and spreading the knowledge about what we're going through right now is part of that so that hopefully it'll help you make decisions in the future but let's move on so in a segment i'm going to bring back that we haven't talked about in a while wtf wtf from simpleflying.com in an article by Luke Bodell dated February 3rd of 2021 entitled United CEO explains his thoughts on mandatory vaccinations. 
Scott Kirby, the CEO of United Airlines, has reaffirmed the airline's position on mandatory vaccinations, claiming that the practice will become widespread once other companies pick up on it. United's leadership is looking to vaccinate all of its 60,000-strong workforce, who are considered essential workers. Last month, CEO Kirby outlined the airline's intention to mandate vaccinations in a virtual town hall meeting with employees. However, United doesn't want to be the only carrier adopting such a policy. Kirby has encouraged other companies to get on board with compulsory compulsory vaccinations, saying, I'm realistic enough while I think it's the right thing to do. I know United Airlines alone can't do it and have it stick. There doesn't have to be a ton of others, but there have to be others. Other airlines, including Delta and American, have shown a reluctance to adopt mandatory vaccines. American has stated that it encourages its employees to get vaccinated, but won't mandate it, while Delta is yet to comment on the issue. Meanwhile, Southwest has pledged to vaccinate all of its employees for free once the jab is widely available, but it won't be mandatory as of yet. So what are your guys' thoughts on this? Now, I know in the cockpit we talk about this. Are you going to volunteer? Are you going to go get it? Are you going to wait till they make it mandatory? And there's a lot of debate, not just amongst our in- industry, but around the world right now about these vaccinations. Rob, let's start with you. Well, personally, I, um, I think I will eventually get vaccinated so with that being said, I will wait to get vaccinated. Um, I think it's too soon right now. Just I, I, I'm not much of a vac- vaccine kind of person. I, I never get the flu shot. Um, I even, when I was in the military, they were, um, you, you know, you had to get all these shots in the military if you had to deploy. And one of the shots that was very controversial when I was in was an anthrax shot. Um, and it was uh it was just too soon as far as the development research and you know not knowing what the side effects were and i don't like to put anything in my body that i don't know what's going to happen um so and that's kind of how i feel about uh this covid shot right now i mean you know so it looks like the success rate is pretty high but i still think it's really really early it's too soon. It was rushed. Um, you know, part of me says, you know, it's amazing how, how, and I think it's good, but I think it's amazing how they can, you know, develop this vaccine in such a rapid period of time. But, you know, we can't cure cancer. We can't, uh, <laughs> you know, the common cold is, comes around every year and we can't get something for that. Um, so wait, wait, it's wait, just wait. funny how... You do realize that no one has had the common cold now for quite some right. time, about a year, actually. Nobody's no, one, no one's had the it, flu, right? you know, it, oh, yeah, or the it's, flu. it's COVID or nothing. <laughs> that's exactly. I just, that's my, that's my whole thing. And, and it's funny that, you know, the United States has the highest numbers in the, in the world uh, when we have the best medicine in the world. Really? Why is that? You know, is it be, is it because people are out there and partying it up and everything like that? I don't think so. I think it's the way it's our it's the it's our lifestyle. It's the way we live. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are inherently 
Um, uh, you know, they say there's people that genetically are more susceptible to be, to have problems, complications from COVID because of, you know, whether it be their weight or, you know, their, their food choices or stuff like that. So, you know, you look at other countries and yeah, they have problems, but you know, China, I guess China's, you know, you don't like, we don't like to talk anything good about China, but you know, they seem to have a, have a good handle on it. Um, why aren't they having the same numbers and issues that like we but are? Who knows, but Rob, who knows if they really are? I mean, I mean, can well, you really? And, you, you, and that's exactly what I mean is people are always skeptical whenever you just say the word China, but right. you know, seriously, I mean, you know, uh, the market's back open in, in Wuhan and you know, they've let the inspectors in on the lab and all these things, but uh, granted they were locked down to where you would be shot in the street they were if they you were, were out you know, breaking curfew you know americans would never in a million years stand well, for such things we, so. we had we have masks we have quarantines we have schools shut down i mean you know airlines grounded you know we we, we went through the same kind of hoops and and everything like that but um anyway as far as the vaccine goes i i'm gonna wait um but there's there's some exciting news happening here in our county uh in in concerning the vaccine and you guys may have heard of it it's pretty exciting i think we're uh our county setting the standard um and they're setting it really high for the for the world or for the country um our county has received a whole bunch of vaccines and they went ahead and set up a drive-through um vaccine location at texas motor speedway and they're able to do 1,000 vaccines an hour, uh, 14 vaccine, 14,000 vaccines a day. Um, so they're uh, they're pushing it through really fast, and people said that they're they make an appointment um, and they're able to get in within a week. And then once they get there, they're there uh, 15 minutes to get the shot, and then they have to wait 15 minutes for uh, um, post shot to see if there's any side effects, and then they're free to go. And people say, yeah, pretty much they get there, they're there a half hour and they're gone. Wow. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty exciting as far as, you know, vaccine shots are concerned because um, there's, it's not that successful in some of the other counties and some of the other parts of the, the country where they're having a hard time getting it. So anyway, thought that'd be uh, something that people should ought to, ought to hear. Yeah. And Roger, what about you? Are you, uh, have you gotten the first shot yet or are you going to get it or how's that work? I have definitely not gotten any shot. Um, I'm here in California, and I don't think that that the availability of the shot will be around for probably another three months or so. However, all of my prognostications ever since COVID started have pretty much not come true. So who's to say how that's all going to go? Yeah, you know, I don't really, in in terms of of Kirby and United, I don't really know if it goes in the in the WTF category for me, but at the same time, um, I think it's a little odd to, to try and force an entire corporation and their employees into something like a vaccine. Um, I am, I mean, I guess a little opposite from, from Rob, I am very pro vaccine. However, I also don't think that it's any CEO, CFO, chairman of the board any any of their uh, position to be able to 
to basically force their employees to get a vaccine. Um, you know, I, at the same time, I appreciate where his heart is because I think that he's trying to do it. I, I do not think that there is anything malicious behind that. I think that his heart is in the right place is like, look, we want to try and keep people, you know, I want to keep my employees from getting sick and I want to try and keep my employees for then from then infecting other people. I 100% and, and, and this is very, I don't think I've ever said this about a CEO before, but I 100% think that his position on that issue um, is in the right place. However, I think he might be slightly overreaching, but you know, I, I can appreciate where he's coming from. And I guess that's pretty much all I have to say on that. I don't want to, you know, obviously the whole vaccination thing just as a whole can really open a can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. And Anthony, what about you? Are you uh, looking forward to getting the jab in the arm or is this something you're going to wait? Enthusiastically looking forward to getting the jab in the arm. Sign me up. Put, Put me in, coach. I'm ready. Give me that thing right now. Um, look, here's the reality of the matter, folks. We're all going to get the virus, or we're going to get the vaccine. One or the other. Take your pick. If you just look at how viral this thing has gone, you know, that's the reality of it. We're either all going to at some point contract COVID, or you're going to get the virus to preclude, I'm sorry, the vaccine to preclude um, uh, getting COVID. I mean, that's just, that's, I think that's just, it's not the inevitability, not of the United States, of the world. Now, that's just Anthony's opinion. I'll parrot something that Roger, you know, just said a second ago and I sort of alluded to earlier, you know, that's the rational thought process of mine taking over and thinking, but who knows, you know, I mean, my sort of rational way of trying to think about this whole thing has not really proven to work out because this thing has been anything but logical and rational right from the start. But I do think that there is truth in that sentiment when you just look at it sort of unemotionally and by the numbers, you know, we're all bound for either getting the virus and the vaccine. Now, as far as the virus goes, I already had the virus. I, you know, been there and done that. Checked that box already. Um, you know, sort of also to um, to pick up there what Roger was talking about a minute ago. You know, uh, I like Kirby a lot. Um, I definitely think his heart's in the right place. And the reality of the matter is, I think that you're going to see a lot of foreign countries uh, are going to probably mandate the vaccine. So even if you're on a narrow body airframe, you know, you could be doing flying into some foreign countries. Certainly, and you get up into flying the uh, and flying wide bodies. You know, I could see more foreign countries over longer distances. You know, requiring this vaccine. So to the point, I mean, it may be sort of a requirement in terms of your overall scope of employment more than something that the company mandates. Um, you know, kind of like if you're you know if you're flying to China, you have to have a visa, right? That's one of the, that's one of the things that's that's required for that, and that's a term of employment. That's something that you have to have. So. I think in the aggregate, this could sort of become a mandate just by virtue of you may need it to fly certain places. Um, I do think that Kirby Sot is completely in the right place. Uh, but I also agree with Roger in the sense that when you come out and you try to take this authoritarian, you know, authoritarian type stance of saying, you know, do this because we said so, that gets a little bit dangerous. Uh, and I do think that Kirby, I like the guy. I do think he has good intentions with this. Like Roger said, he's not being malicious in any of this. But, you know, a corporate entity, especially a government, you know, or a government entity, you know, coming out and, you know, making edicts and making mandates, you know, that is setting the precedent for something really dangerous. Um, I mean, just as a little, for instance, type of thing, um, you know, I mean, look at look at how far authority has basically kind of spiraled out of control in the realm of all this. I forget what it was, but I read something not too long ago that basically the headline said the CDC now requires blah, blah, blah. 
And I thought to myself, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm getting a little bit dopey in my old age over here, but the CDC makes advisories and recommendations. You know, since when did the CDC get, you know, authority to start making, you know, requisite mandates, giving up orders? Did, did, I, did I miss something over there? And I understand something from, from the onset? I mean, I think that on, you know, a bigger, not to turn this into politics, and I won't, but I will just say this. I think the bigger issue we have to kind of we kind of look at here is sort of where's you know where's our country going in the sense that there is a lot of power grab up for play here that's going unchallenged and unchecked and that's setting up a real slippery slope for things in the future. But uh, as far as the vaccine, uh, yeah, sign me up. Um, Rob talked a little bit about this. Uh, you know, people have said you know well it's it's too early and we got this thing too fast. It might not be safe. Well, here's the thing: as far as a lot of vaccines are concerned. You know, we've gotten vaccines in the past for things that, you know, things that, okay, it'd be useful to have a vaccine for whatever, okay? And we'll work on developing one, but it's not priority level urgent. We need this thing right this second, kind of like COVID was. Hence, we didn't put all of our financial and logistical resources into developing that vaccine. The other thing that we didn't do was cut a lot of the bureaucracy and red tape out of that process. Okay, so we put everything that we had in this financially, everything that we had logistically, we cut the red tape out of it. And the other thing, too, is you do the homework on this. There are a lot of these technologies that were used to help develop this vaccine that have never really been used before in developing a vaccine that that by itself fast tracks this thing by a significant period of time. So as far as when you look at all those things, you know, this whole mindset that, well, it's too fast. It came up too soon. It's automatically not safe. Well, I think that kind of precludes that argument right there. And at the same time, too, there's also precedence, you know, like, like anthrax, like Rob mentioned, when I was in the military, I got that shot as well. Um, this is the same thing about anthrax, anthrax. And not everybody who took the anthrax shot dropped dead, you know. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the FDA has to approve this. They did. If the FDA thought that this was not safe or that you were going to get sick, let alone die from it, we wouldn't have the thing. Uh, I get the mindset that there's a lot of people that kind of have the, the attitude of, uh, oh, yeah, send a couple canaries down the mine first and let's see what happens. I, I get that. But I do think that as, you know, as we see more positive feedback from this, I think that we'll see more people get it. And like I said, bigger picture, it's the virus or the vaccine, folks. Take your pick. Yeah. I, and I agree. Eventually, there will be a choice to be made. Now, we look at mandatory vaccinations and then we say, oh, well, you can't do that. You know, we live in a country where it's free. And we can go down a rabbit hole of what legislation is going on within each state. I know that uh, most states in the United States and in three provinces in Canada uh, require that all children that go to public school receive certain vaccinations. And the only exceptions are for medical or religious re reasons. Mississippi has taken it one step further. They do not allow an exception for religious reasons. The only time a child going to a public school can get an exception from a vaccine is if it's a medically uh, a medical reason that they can't get it, they can't receive it, if they're allergic to it or whatever it is. Um, and then you look at uh, food service. I used to work in food service, and in order for me to work in the industry, I had to get a hepatitis shot, show proof that I had a hepatitis shot to my employer. So there, well, there's, there's very much a precedent, like you're saying. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. you can absolutely have to have it as a condition of employment. There are already rules in place for other things. Now we're getting into again, that gray area. We don't know. 
what is going to happen in the future. I doubt that it'll be mandatory. It'll possibly be something that is uh, recommended or a condition of certain aspects of your employment uh, to have it. Me personally, I have no problem with the vaccine. Uh, I'm not a, I'm going to get in line, be the first one as soon as I get it, but I know I'm going to get it. Um, Which one? I don't know yet because as Rob was saying, he's going to wait to see what the best ones are, how many people have had what vaccine from what manufacturer, uh, which ones had the least amount of side effects, which ones were more more effective. And I'm going to make my decision that way simply because I'm not going to do something haphazardly. Now, what I think is crucial that we talk about here, and if you get nothing out of this podcast, but what I'm going to say right now, I think this is the most valuable thing that we need to talk about as pilots in general. Where is the provision or insurance protecting me in the event that I take a vaccine that the company either requires me to take as a condition of my employment or recommends that I take? Either way, where is the insurance or protections indicating that if I lose my FAA medical due to a reaction that I got from the vaccine, am I going to be protected by the company that is requiring that I take it or asking that I take it? Am I going to have that's pay protections? that's kind of where I, my heart is on this whole thing is, is I will, I'm going to hold out until the company says, I, you have to take it. And then I'm going to say, okay, which one? And then if I do, now, you right, know, it's on you if anything happens. Yeah. Right now, <laughs> Legacy Airlines that's, that's is under contract uh, negotiation, which obviously has been put on the back shelf because of everything that's going on in the, in the world with this pandemic. However, when we get back to that table and it's time to renegotiate a viable contract for the future, obviously, we're not going to have this strong, uh, great contract that we were anticipating because of everything that's happened. And as Anthony was mentioning, now these companies, even to turn around to a positive cash flow, it's going to take years, years to recover from this. So we're going to obviously have to take a hit as an employee group. However, I would like to see that every airline and the pilot group and, and even flight attendant and mechanic group, all the groups that if you're being required to take a vaccination, that's fine, in my opinion. However, I would like to see contract language that indicates that if I lose my medical because of a condition or an uh, inadverse uh, reaction to receiving the vaccine, that I will be protected. If I see that, I'll feel a whole lot better about getting my stab in the arm. Yep. Now, here's, here's the thing. Uh, I think, Tony, when you're talking about something like that, you probably will see contract language that will address that. It's a question of how solid will that contract language be, okay? Because, you know, we all know from experience here that, you know, a contract is only as good as the language. You, you tweak that thing by, you know, one or two words in the wrong places, and that contract doesn't mean what you think that it means on the surface. So I think that there will be, lang- there will be something uh, the language of that of that particular article of provision of the contract is going to be of the utmost importance. But here's the other thing: I think that I think that ultimately we'll say that you know, okay, if it can be proven that COVID that the COVID vaccine caused you to lose your medical, then we will do uh, A, B, and C. The real question will then be proving 
whether or not it was the COVID vaccine. That's going to open up this whole the can of worms that, you know, hypothetically, and God forbid, you had to go through some sort of medical review because you lost your medical. They'll say, uh, yeah, you lost your medical, you're not qualified. Um, but and that's, that's part that of the reason why I want to wait, because I think there's going to be, you know, uh, there's there's already been some cases where people have developed certain symptoms that they weren't expecting. So now that there's an established record of this, there's language that can be developed into a contract that says, hey, if, you know, one of our um, employees, pilots, whatever, um, gets the shot and develops these symptoms, which may become, uh, you know, medically disqualifying, well, we can attribute that to, you know, the mandatory vaccine that you ordered us to take. And therefore, you know, we need to somehow compensate, pay, protect, whatever the case may right. be. But there needs to be some kind of, for me, there needs to be some kind of history, some kind of precedence. And in my personal case, that's why I'm waiting. I, I'd rather, I'd rather wait, let this thing develop, let it, <laughs> let it run its course. It's yeah. kind of like a brand new car, brand new airplane. Got to work the gremlins out of it first (laughs) (laughs) we tweaked it a little there's a different variant now let's get that one yes yeah i just i just think rob that the the big thing will be (laughs) to try to prove that you know well the reason why you lost your medical had to do with the covid vaccine they're good i I have an idea you know that 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 the way that's going to play out is well you lost your medical but we don't know 100% that it's COVID, so no benefits for you, but you can't go back to flying a line either. I think there's going to be a lot of that, even if there is language in the, which I think, again, I think there will be language, you know, in the contract will be a provision, but that's, uh, I think that's going to be the next uh, loophole, you know, sort of, uh, so to speak. Yeah, I'd like to see just an insurance policy that's uh, in place that is paid for by the company, supplied by the company that indicates that. Uh, if the company mandates that all pilots or all uh, traveling employees in the industry must take the vaccine as a condition of employment, that there is an insurance policy out there to protect the, who knows, I'm guessing here, 0.01% of employees that might develop something like, say, colorblindness or something that goes wrong with their vision or something that just as a as rob said a disqualifier to your medical that there's an insurance policy that says okay well due to the vaccine and good as you said anthony good luck proving yeah. that but due to the vaccine yeah. you have like multiple doctors that say yep this is uh, one of the side effects that we yeah. have now known uh in years yeah. to come that is part from uh receiving it then you would be yeah. compensated you and know, that's all I'm saying. The other thing too is, you know, is our, our a lot of our manuals and and uh, operation specs are all written in blood. You know what I mean? We 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 know this. You know, we can't do certain things because somebody else screwed it up, and well, we got to put it in a book so people won't do it. Well, I think that this is one of those cases. Uh, it may not be as drastic as that, but I think. It's just so early on. I mean, even the even uh, the FA medicals when when the vaccines came out, you know, they were they took them a couple of days, a couple of weeks to decide how they were going to handle it themselves, and they finally came out and said, "Well, you got to you, you can take the Moderna or the uh, Pfizer vaccine, and you have to wait 48 hours afterwards." Um, so, you know, I think that's good. I think they had to do something, um, but I don't think that they were 
you know, they were all happy Joe go lucky about it uh, because they hadn't had a chance themselves to review it themselves. So, um, but I think they were probably pressured by, you know, all the administrations and the government to, uh, to, to, to do something because, you know, they, they, they needed to get this stuff going. So I don't know. That's just my two cents. Yeah. So do you need to have any contractual protections if the company does not mandate you to take the vaccine? Do we what? Uh, if, if they don't mandate you to, t- to take the vaccine and it's only a suggestion, well, then it's your choice whether to take it or not. But if, as Anthony was mentioning, as what other countries around the world are now doing is making the vaccine a mandatory part of international travel, so if you want to travel to why, their, com- their country why, on vacation, why, you got to take the vaccine. Why can't I just get do a COVID test? I'd rather do that. Test negative. Well, and, and I think okay, that that's part go. of the other discussion in terms of, you know, what Anthony started touching on with, and you, Rob, just now, other countries could make you come with some kind of proof. And that's going to be, I suspect, probably part of the reopening yeah. is either proof that you had that you had COVID or that you have some kind of record of vaccination yeah. in order to open lots of things up. In the end, yeah. I don't know that any company would want to mandate you to take a vaccine. And, and part yeah. of that insurance is, and the insurance aspect is part of the reason why is because it does open them up to some liability to it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, probably going to stop there i think i probably yeah. fall a little farther than you than you, than <laughs> you guys in terms of the contract i mean yeah. you can get the vaccine i mean but to it to, but to expect the company to pay for it i mean we do have short-term long-term insurance no yep. matter what you are or you can take the i mean fighting for the vaccine or you can maybe you lose your medical because of covid and that's your choice and yeah. you know there's always that aspect too um, yeah it sure I, is i think yeah. there's I mean, there's definitely lots of layers to that onion. I, I don't. I would probably suspect you'd be hard pressed to find a company that's going to force you to do yeah. something, and then because they don't want to yeah. take on that, you know, what you guys are all, you know, generally yeah. asking for with with contractual contractual. Hey, well, you said I had to do this, and so if something happens, pay me. I think that's going to be a. Yeah. Uh, I'm also I'm also up for the uh, you know a more rapid development or rapid um, uh, I guess development would be the right word, but of of the test of a rapid test for uh, you know it's more common something that can even be um, you know <laughs> this is going to sound really crazy and Jep, uh, Jepson like if you remember that show, but you know something that's app based, you know what I mean? Something that. Um, uh, is developed and it it it's con- constantly updated to your to your phone your app. I mean, you, you do that with diabetes, blue glucose stuff. You know, I mean, there I'd be kind of cool if, if a company can rapidly develop something that um, is instantaneous um, and you know it proves that you do not have the. Uh, Didn't we talk about this um, like three shows ago? You pee on the stick to find out if you're pregnant. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But I mean, that'd be well, so, that'd be so some cool. Entrepreneur. Some entrepreneur will come up with that. You know, the free market yeah. usually solves these problems. You know, yeah. it solves them better than the government. Yeah. Uh, you know, in almost all cases. So yeah, there'll yeah. there'll be some smart person that comes up with something yeah. for sure. Dude, it's a matter of how let's long. Let's do it. Let's do it right here, the four of us. 
All right. We won't have to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> yeah, because the money is just <laughs> raking all you in need right to now. Do is figure out how to overcome science. It's like other Velcro, than that, it, it should be fine. Yahoo, you know, Amazon, all these easy things. You know, it's like God. Why didn't I think of that? Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, eventually, if you can blow in a little thing that you can get at, at Costco, and it'll tell you what your blood alcohol level is, I'm sure they'll develop something that you can blow into it and it can detect yeah. if you have the covid have virus face id retina id you know you said thumbprint id i'm sure they could do a dna uh, uh you know covid test id just be like uh, okay well, yep, remember I'm that good. remember that movie gattaca where t- in order to go into the office building you had to get a, a pinprick in your finger and it would it would analyze your blood and it would tell you you're okay to pass i mean Maybe that is like when you pass through the you. gates at work, you get all and it test analyzes your blood and it says you are free from contaminants. It, it, it could be as quick as a DNA thing. So, you know, you just got to pull a little hair out of here, stick it in the little reader. You're good to go, brother. <laughs> I don't even want to know. I'm telling you, hey, I'm brainstorming. I, I've got. I'm going to write this stuff down because I got some you, research man. to do. <laughs> Rob's got a his, his uh, dream I'm board. I'm going to call in Rich in a couple weeks. I'll see you guys later. It's like science. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, you know, riveting, riveting anyway. conversation about the industry and and what we've been talking about here in the last 24 hours. And I do appreciate all of your input and uh, and ideas. Well, gentlemen, uh, this month starts off, month of February of every year, with Black History Month. And, you know, I really wanted to do a segment on a pioneer in aviation that really was so far ahead of her time that I had to look at the dates twice when I was doing a little bit of research. And who I'm talking about is Bessie Coleman. Bessie Coleman was an early American civil aviator. Coleman was the first African-American woman, the first Native American, to hold a pilot's license. She earned her license from the Fédération Aéronautique Internationale on June 15th of 1921. That's right, 1921. And she was the first black person to earn an international pilot's license. She later became a high-profile pilot in notoriously dangerous air shows in the United States. She was popularly known as Queen Bess and Brave Bessie, and hopes to start a school for African-American flyers. Her pioneering role was an inspiration to early pilots and to the African-American and Native American communities. Who was Elizabeth Bessie Coleman? She was born on January 26, 1892, in Atlanta, Texas. Bessie was the 10th of the 13th children to Georgia Coleman, whose grandparents were Cherokee, and Susan Coleman, who was African-American. Only nine of the children survived childhood, which was typical for that time. When Coleman was two years old, her family moved to Waxahachie, Texas where they lived as sharecroppers. Coleman began attending school in Waxahachie at the age of six years old. She would walk four miles each day to her segregated one-room school where she loved to read and establish herself as an outstanding math student. 
Every year, Coleman's routine of school, chores, and church was interrupted by the cotton harvest. In 1901, George Coleman left his family. He returned to Oklahoma, or Indian Territory, as it was then called, to find better opportunities, but his wife and children did not follow. At the age of 12, Bessie was accepted into the Missionary Baptist Church School on scholarship. When she turned 18 years old, she took her savings and enrolled in the Oklahoma Colored Agricultural and Normal University in Langston, Oklahoma, which is now known as Langston University. She completed one term before her money ran out and she returned home. At the age of 23, Coleman moved to Chicago, Illinois, where she lived with her brothers. In Chicago, she worked as a manicurist at the White Sox Barbershop. There, she heard stories of flying during wartime from pilots returning home from World War I. She took a second job at a chili parlor to save money in hopes of becoming a pilot herself. American flight schools of the time admitted neither women nor blacks, so Robert S. Abbott, the founder and publisher of the Chicago Defender, encouraged her to study abroad. Abbott publicized Coleman's quest in his newspaper, and she received financial scholarship from banker Jesse Binga and the Defender. Bessie Coleman took a French language class at the Berlitz Language School in Chicago and then traveled to Paris on November 20th, 1920, so she could earn her pilot's license. She learned to fly in a Nearport 564 biplane with a steering system that consisted of a vertical stick, the thickness of a baseball bat in front of the pilot, and a rudder bar under the pilot's feet. On June 15, 1921, Coleman became the first black woman and first Native American to earn an aviation pilot's license and the first black person and first Native American to earn an international aviation license from the Federation Aerotique Internationale. Determined to polish her skills, Coleman spent the next two months taking lessons from a French ace pilot near Paris. Then in September of 1921, she sailed for America. She found herself a media sensation when she returned to the United States. She was quoted to say that the air is the only place free from prejudices. I knew we had no aviators, neither men nor women, and I knew the race needed to be represented along this most important line. So I thought it my duty, I thought it's my duty to risk my life to learn aviation. With the age of commercial flights still a decade or more in the future, Coleman quickly realized that in order to make a living as a civilian aviator, she would have to become a barnstorming stunt flyer, performing dangerous tricks in the then still early technology of airplanes for paying audiences. But to succeed in this highly competitive arena, she would need advanced lessons and a more extensive repertoire. Returning to Chicago, Coleman could not find anyone willing to teach her. So in February of 1922, she sailed again for Europe. She spent the next two months in France, competing an advanced course in aviation. She then left for the Netherlands to meet with Anthony Fokker, one of the world's most distinguished aircraft designers. She also traveled to Germany, where she visited the Fokker Corporation and received additional training from one of the company's chief pilots. She later returned to the United States to launch her career in exhibition flying. Queen Bess, as she was known, was a highly popular draw for the next five years. 
Invited to important events and often interviewed by newspapers, she was admired by both blacks and whites. She primarily flew the Curtis JN-4 Jenny biplanes and other aircraft, which had been Army surplus aircraft left over from the war. She made her first appearance in an American air show September 3, 1922, at an event honoring veterans of the all-black 369th Infantry Regiment of World War I. Held at Curtis Field in Long Island near New York City and sponsored by her friend, by her friend Abbott and the Chicago Defender newspaper, the show billed Coleman as the world's greatest woman flyer and featured aerial displays by eight other American ace pilots and a jump and a jump by black parachutist Hubert Julian. Six weeks later, she returned to Chicago to deliver a stunning demonstration of daredevil maneuvers, including figure eights, loops, and near ground dips to a large and enthusiastic crowd at the Checkerboard Aerodrome, now the grounds of Heinz Veterans Administration Medical Center, Heinz, Illinois, Loyola Hospital, Maywood, and nearby Cook County Forest Preserve. The thrill of stunt flying and the admiration of cheering crowds were only part of Coleman's dream. Coleman never lost sight of her childhood vow to one day amount to something. As a professional aviator, Coleman would often be criticized by the press for her opportunistic nature and the flamboyant style she brought to her exhibition flying. She also quickly gained a reputation as a skilled and daring pilot who would stop at nothing to complete a difficult stunt. In Los Angeles, she broke a leg and three ribs when her plane stalled and crashed on February 22, 1923. Committed to promoting aviation and combating racism, Coleman spoke to audiences across the country about the pursuit of aviation and goals for African Americans. She absolutely refused to participate in aviation events that prohibited the attendance of African Americans. In the 1920s, she met Reverend Hezekiah Hill and his wife, Viola, on a speaking tour in Orlando, Florida, a community activist who invited her to stay with them at the parsonage of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church on Washington Street in the neighborhood of Paramore. A local street was later named Bessie Coleman Street in her honor in the year 2013. The Hill family, who treated her as a daughter, persuaded her to stay in Florida where Coleman opened a beauty shop in Orlando to earn extra money in an effort to buy her own airplane. Through her media contacts, she was offered a role in a feature-length film titled Shadow and Sunshine to be financed by the African-American Seminole Film Producing Company. She gladly accepted, hoping the publicity would help her to advance her career and provide her with some of the money she needed to establish her own flying school. But upon learning that the first scene in the movie required her to appear in, ta in tattered clothes with a walking stick and a pack on her back, she refused to proceed. Opportunist though she was about her career, she was never an opportunist about race. She had no intention of perpetuating the derogatory image most whites had of most blacks, wrote Doris Rich author of Queen Bess, Daredevil Aviator. Mae Jemison, the first African-American woman astronaut said, it's tempting to draw parallels between me and Miss Coleman, but I point to Bessie Coleman and say here is a woman, a being who exemplifies and serves as a model for all humanity, the very definition of strength, dignity, courage, integrity, and beauty. Coleman would not live long enough to establish a school for young black aviators 
but her pioneering achievements served as an inspiration for a generation of African-American men and women. Because of Bessie Coleman, wrote Lieutenant William J. Powell in Black Wings 1934, which was dedicated to Coleman, we have overcome that which was worse than racial barriers. We have overcome the barriers within ourselves and dared to dream. Lieutenant Powell served in a segregated unit during World War I and tirelessly promoted the cause of black aviation through his book, his journals, and the Bessie Coleman Aero Club, which he founded in 1929. In April of 1926, she purchased a Curtis JN4, a Jenny, in Dallas, Texas. Her mechanic and publicity agent, 24-year-old William Willis, flew the plane from Dallas in preparation for an air show and had to make three forced landings along the way because the plane had been so poorly maintained. Upon learning this, Coleman's friends and family did not consider the aircraft safe and implored her not to fly it. On takeoff, Willis was flying the plane with Coleman in the other seat. She had not put on her seatbelt because she was planning a parachute jump for the next day and wanted to look over the cockpit sill to examine the terrain. About 10 minutes into the flight, the plane unexpectedly went into a dive and then a spin at 3,000 feet above the, above the grounds. Coleman was thrown from the plane at 2,000 feet and died instantly when she hit the ground. William Willis was unable to regain control of the plane and it plummeted to the ground. Willis died upon impact and the plane exploded and burst into flames. Although the wreckage of the plane was badly burned, it was later discovered that a wrench used to service the engine had been jammed into the flight controls. Coleman was 34 years old. Funeral services were held in Florida before her body was sent back to Chicago. While there was little mention in most media, news of her death was widely carried in the African-American press and 10,000 mourners attended her ceremonies in Chicago, which were led by activist Ida B. Wells. What an inspiration. I'm really glad that we decided to do this on Bessie. Um, you know, I, I have been kind of asking other pilots that I've been flying with, uh, do you know who Bessie is? Uh, Bessie Coleman? I'm, I'm going to do a, a piece on her for my podcast. And I was surprised how many pilots were like, yeah, yeah, she was like one of the first women, right? And I... I I didn't know this. I kind of felt ashamed that here I am in aviation for so many decades uh, doing this, and I had never known this. Um, I knew the greats, the, the cliches out there, the, the names that we all recognize, but there are so many aviators out there that were absolute pioneers. You know, I, I often say that we, we're here, you know, recording a podcast for fun. Uh, about aviation, about the journey of today's aviator and how they're handling the hurdles of today's marketplace. And yet there's so much I don't know about our past, about the aviators that I am here standing on the shoulders of because they paved their way, as Rob mentioned earlier, in blood. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that we got a chance to, to do this. What did you guys think? That was awesome, man. That's an interesting yeah. article. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And uh, you know, like I was saying earlier when we were, we were talking about this, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd say I, I would fall into that category of people who have heard of her. Uh, you know, like I knew the name and I knew she was associated with the, uh, the the old air shows and you know the biplanes and things of that nature, right there. But that's really about the extent of what I know. Yeah. Yes. Same here. I, I've heard of the name, but I couldn't tell you anything about her and it was really 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 good to to finally read something about her and and really put a you know a context of her name and and her contribution to aviation it's pretty amazing just all the barriers that she broke being female and and african-american that i mean yeah yeah not just and native american too yeah but two plus the native american background yeah yeah and it's crazy to think that to this day there's still barriers being broken you know, by not only Native American, uh, uh, African Americans or whatever, by female pilots too. You know, I mean, it's just the other day, I think uh, an all female air crew flew an airplane out of some Muslim country. Air, air okay. India, all female yeah. crew. Yeah. All I remember female. reading about that. That was pretty so, cool on you know, their longest flight that they do. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's, it's really, it's re, you know, especially being a father to, you know, two young girls, you know, it's these, these women are role models, you know, so it's awesome that they're, they're still out there, you know, making it happen. So it's cool. Yeah. And, and the comment, the quote there from the first, uh, black female astronaut, um, was it Mae Jensen, the first African-American woman astronaut? Uh, when she said that uh, it's tempting to draw parallels between me and Miss Coleman, but I point to Bessie Coleman and say, here is a woman, a being who exemplifies and serves as a model for all humanity, the very definition of strength, dignity, courage, integrity, and beauty. I mean, wow. I mean, I That's would awesome. like to see if that is on video somewhere uh, so I can see that speech from Mae uh, Jemison. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. Rock on. But thank you, gentlemen. Um, you know, today's show's been great. Uh, it was kind of a, a last-minute uh, thing for me because uh, we were debating whether to do it, but then we, we thought, okay, let's, no matter what happens, uh, whether Anthony can, can join us on the show or not, let's just, just record something and, on this layover. It's a longer layover for me, so I, I have the privilege of setting up having good strong wi-fi here at the hotel and getting it going and <laughs> i'm i was sending uh, videos to you guys via text messages before the show that i've learned how to mirror uh basically make a two-screen laptop here with my efb by using this uh uh-huh. error error screen or whatever they're calling it uh, screen mirroring so i have like two screens here that i that are <laughs> being used for my laptop uh with no wires it's it's really cool uh so yeah we had a great show uh really had a good time having this debate about the both the vaccine and the the new warn letters and everything that's going on with with our economy and the and the and congress and pol- the politics of aviation i mean it's some for some people it's it's a bit of a minutia of having to talk about it, but it affects us. We should know about it. And, and whether you're a senior pilot or you're a new hire, that's maybe possibly affected by all this. It's important to kind of get a perspective on what's going on in our industry. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's something that, you know, if you're looking to get in the industry, if you're uh, out there working on your ratings, plugging away, trying to get on with an airline, it's something that, 
Um, you know, unfortunately, it's a reality of our profession. Um, it's a cyclical nature. We talked about it time and time again in numerous podcasts. Um, we have our highs, we have our lows, and unfortunately, <laughs> no pun yeah. intended. And unfortunately, we are in uh, on the on the low side of uh, this. And, and it feels like, and I hope you guys would agree with me. It feels like we're starting to um, come out the other end. Um, and, uh, it, it could only, it, and it always has, it's always gotten better. So, um, two steps forward, one step back. I think that's really what it's been feeling like lately, but, you know, and I want to give, uh, Anthony an opportunity to talk again, just briefly about, uh, his, uh, new adventure in, uh, in YouTube and social media with uh, Life by Z. Again, where can our listeners find you? Like I said, basically on uh, on Facebook as well as Instagram under the title Life by Z, but most notably at the flagship new website, lifebyz.com. And uh, it's a personal consulting business. So anybody out there that uh, feels they could use some personal consulting, personal coaching, you know, things like uh, how to win the day, how to develop good habits, how to set goals, how to stay on point, uh, just basically, you know, just how to take control of your life and create a culture of success, or like I like, to, or as I like to say, build a winning culture in life. Uh, that's what uh, the website's all about: personal consulting, and uh, that's what I'm going to be doing. And uh, real quickly, if I can wrap up on something that uh, Rob said, uh, actually, this is something that I stated on, or sort of touching on something that Rob said. And this is something that I stated on a uh, another podcast that I went on that is yet to air. Um, the airline industry finds a way, you know, it's kind of like Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, you know, nature will find a way. The airline industry finds a way. It's what this industry has been doing since it started. It's had its back up against the wall on many occasions. This isn't, this is not going to be the last time that this industry is going to face this, but it finds a way, you know, like I said, that poster over my shoulder may have to be reworked. You know, all those companies up there could be merged into one who knows this is going to play out. And I think we're likely to still see some mergers coming down the road, but for uh, aspiring aviators out there, uh, don't let it discourage you. This is just the cyclical nature of this business. It's what this uh, what this industry does, and uh, it'll still be there. And uh, for anybody out there that's uh, interested in any things I talked about, find me on Instagram under uh, Life by Z, and otherwise you can touch base with me on LifeByZ.com. Awesome. So before we go, can I ask a question? If you sure. were a if you were an aviator or if you were a uh, aspiring aviator looking to get into the industry and um, and we told you that this kind of stuff was going to happen and you had to put all this hard work into, you know, your training and, and experiences to get to this point, would you still do it? Would you say it's worth it? Oh, absolutely. Me too. Yep. I would also. Yeah, and I, I think that part of the reason for that is that you have to love flying. You have to yes. want to do it. You can't be getting into flying because somebody told you you were going to make lots of money, or because you know the chicks were going to dig it, or something <laughs> other than the fact that you loved flying. Because yeah. that's what's going to differentiate between whether the, the people that would say or will say that yes, it's worth it, or no, not yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you, uh, you know, with everything that's going on and even though we do have, um, you know, light conversation about this in the cockpit, um, you know, when I go to work 
And as soon as, you know, before start checklists, boom, it is the coolest job in the world. As soon as those engines spool up and you launch off that runway and you're headed out somewhere, it's the coolest job in the world. And you pretty much forget about everything that's happening. COVID, government, life, home, oil change, car tire, whatever. You just go out there and you have fun. And that's what makes this job so cool, in my opinion. Very well said. Yeah, very true. And I can't tell you how many questions I've, I've uh, been asked probably in the last 30 days by captains that I've flown with about, you know, tell me about your podcast. Would you tell a young person that they should get into aviation? Because I've had quite a few people that you know, ask me that they're, you know, getting ready to graduate from high school or college and they're thinking about changing direction and going into the airline industry or a pilot industry, uh, you know, what would you tell them? And the conversations start. And next thing you know, <laughs> it's like three days of the trip and you're still talking about the debate. You know, yeah. Should you get started or yeah. should you not? And then, you know, I simply tell them this. I'm like, somebody comes up to me and says, uh, their kid's interested in flying. Can you talk to them? I say, sure, I'll talk to them. And, uh, yeah. you know, I have them call me and, and I usually tell them, why do you want to do this? What? Oh, I think it's cool. All right, why do you think it's cool? Oh, just because, like, you guys get to, you know, fly airplanes and make a lot of money. I'm like, no, aviation's not for you. Um, don't do it. And then they call me and they're like, you told them not to do it? I'm like, yep, I did. I told them not to do it. I know it seems harsh, but, uh, and here's my logic. And, and don't tell them I said this. And then usually it's like, eh. if I tell you no, don't do it because I don't feel your heart's in it. You're just going to be in a world of hurt. You're going to get in a lot of debt. And, and, it's, and it might be not something you you'll like really have a passion for uh and when the kid calls me back and goes yeah but you know i you know i really am thinking I'm like well you know i don't think you should do it i think it's too hard this is what you can expect you're gonna be gone you're gonna be away from your family you're gonna have you know when you get home your wife and kids are gonna uh, always be constantly going well you didn't spend time with us and give me some money and, and all this stuff and just you paint this really negative picture and then after like a couple of weeks, they still are calling you going, but I, st I still want to do it. What flight school should I go to? And then you're like, oh, okay. You know, you're persistent. You, you know, obviously, and here's how you start out. You start out small, get your private pilot license, go to a part 61 school, pay as you go. Don't break the bank. Don't sign on the dotted line. And if you still like it after learning the, the, the beginning entry positions of flight instruction, and you really feel that you have a passion for it and you get bit by the aviation bug, then call me back and we'll we'll see what what my opinion is of yeah. what might work best for you, what strategy, what flight school, what training uh, regimen that might work for you. So it really is a way to kind of weed out those like like Anthony was saying earlier, is like those that just are doing it for the money. It's not yeah. it's not for you. Because this, like what Rob asked, is would you still do it if, knowing all this? Um, and the answer has to be yes. Because if it's like, nah, I'm going to go be an electrician. Okay, go. Don't wait. Yeah, cool. Go do go something do else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Well, gentlemen, right on, thank man. you so much. Uh, you know, as uh, all of us here are hoping on the Squawk Ident podcast is that you're enjoying yourself. You're enjoying the show. And if you find value in our podcast, we would like to ask you to help us grow 
by visiting our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. From there on the homepage, you can scroll down and find methods to contribute to the podcast by becoming a producer. You'll find links to our YouTube channel and our other social media links as well. You can leave us feedback from the contact us page, either an audio feedback or an email uh, describing whether you like the show, what you want to hear more of, or even if you didn't like something that we said, we'd love to have a conversation about it. Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube users can also find us under the Squawk Ident podcast search. We encourage you to support us on the YouTube channel with a like, subscribe, and a share. And don't forget to check out Life by Z and lifebyz.com. In closing, I'd like to say thank you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, and take care of each other. Bye, everyone. See ya. Take care. Be healthy.